I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. And the person I want to introduce you to actually shares a name with me. And so naturally, the reason I'm introducing him and the story I'm going to tell you here in a minute um, is pretty impactful to me, and, and it resonated with me. But I want to share this with you. The person that you're about to meet, the person I'm about to introduce you to, goes by the name of Alexander the Great. Now, uh, if you're a history buff and you're out there, then you know this guy was unbelievable. This guy is one of, if not the greatest, military general uh, of all time, right? In just 13 years of his life, he conquered a plethora of places. I'm going to list them off for you real quick, right? Uh, Anatolia, Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, Gaza, Egypt, Mesopotamia, Persia, Patricia, all these different places in just 13 years, and it got to the point where he even extended the boundaries of his empire as far as Taxila, India. The guy basically conquered everything. He was uh, the most feared and one of the most respected people, if not the most feared and respected person, to walk planet Earth at his time. No small accomplishments when it came to this guy. This guy uh, took things very seriously. He took his job very seriously. And obviously, he did not like to lose. A kindred spirit to myself, right? And so it's pretty fascinating, the story I'm about to tell you, because when you are that kind of guy, what ends up happening is you end up with a target on your back, right? When you start captive or taking captive different countries and cities and, and nations, naturally, uh, you're probably not a very liked person. And so you end up with a target on your back. And so when you end up with a target on your back, like a guy like Alexander the Great, uh, what happens is you need people to defend your camp. You need people to defend that empire that you keep building. And so being a soldier on duty, on guard, was one of the most important jobs that Alexander the Great delegated, right? Uh, so important that when you were on night watch or even day watch and you fell asleep, one of the soldiers, one of the commanding officers would walk by and see you asleep, what they would do is oftentimes not even wake you up. Oftentimes what they would do is they would take kerosene, pour it on you, and light you on fire immediately. That way they knew there was somebody more fit to come and man that post, right? It was an honor to hold that position and it was important to hold that position. That's some random info, but I promise it's coming to a head because it involves one of my favorite stories about this guy, Alexander the Great. Uh, as, as legend has it, as folklore has it, or even maybe as history has it, we're not really sure because that's kind of how these stories go. They get lost in the shuffle and we're not really sure what's real and what's not, but it's always the meaning of the story when it comes to this stuff uh, that's impactful to us. And so the story goes like this. Uh, one night, Alexander couldn't sleep, Alexander the Great. And so he starts walking around his camp and he's just kind of killing time, checking on things, making sure all his I's are dotted and his T's are crossed. And he comes across a post and he comes across a young soldier. And at this post, there's a young soldier who's sleeping. Being gracious, Alexander the Great decides to go ahead and kick the kid and wake him up. And he says, hey, what are you doing? Do you have any idea how important this job is? Do you have any idea the penalties of this job? And the guy, the kid kind of trembling says, yes, sir, I do know this is important. I'm really sorry. Um, I shouldn't have done that. And Alexander the Great kind of pauses for a second, deciding to be a little bit gracious and says, hey, what's your name? The kid replies to him and he says, Alexander. And Alexander the Great gets a little upset. He says, I'm sorry, what, what's your name? And the kid gets a little uneasy the second time he asks because his voice is a little sterner and he says, it's, it's Alexander. One more time, Alexander the Great looks at him and says, what is your name? And the kid looks at him and says, even trembling more, it's, it's, it's Alexander. And he says, son, if that's the name that you're going to carry, if that's the label that you're going to wear, then you have two options. Either change your name or change your conduct. And that story always stuck with me, right? 
Because it's true, we wear a name, we wear an identity, and we are who we are because of labels, and we want to wear those labels properly, and we want to wear those labels rightly. And so names and callings have giant meanings and giant impacts on our life. And so here's what Alexander the Great was saying. He was saying, hey, if that's, your, if that's how you're going to identify, then it needs to look different. You need to look different. And here's why. Because who you are matters and who you say you are matters. And that's true for us too. That's true for us as Christians, right? Uh, Because how we live should reflect who we say we are. Much like that little soldier, how we live should reflect the name that we bear, the identity that we have, who we say we are. And we just got done with this entire series called Why We Walk Away, right? And and, uh, here comes the quick recap. The entire purpose of this series, Why We Walk Away, was telling you that people walk away and oftentimes... As they walk away, they point back and they say, yeah, I'm walking away because that didn't add up. Who that guy said he was, who that church said they were, that didn't add up with the Jesus that I read about in scripture. And so that's kind of the gist of it. And I think that diving out of that or jumping out of that series and diving into this week's standalone message is me having a conversation with you. There's a couple important things, a couple things that I think we need to acknowledge. And that's this. Uh, sometimes I feel like we don't carry that weight well, we don't carry that name well for two reasons. The first one is this, we don't carry that name well because we don't actually know what our name or our calling is, right? A lot of times um, it's easy to just get lost in the shuffle of, man, I really, yeah, hell sounds like a terrible place. I'll go hang out with this Jesus guy and we never understand the implications past, okay, he said he's gonna save me and I'm cool with that, right? And we never dive into the conversation about, no, this Jesus guy, he's the Lord of your life. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to uh, watch you pursue him as a servant or a prisoner, like Paul calls him in the passage we're gonna read today. That's the first one. The second one is this. Uh, I feel like often those constant reminders of that reality are necessary. When they're not present, we fall back into the same exact patterns. And so the first thing, do we really understand that name? Do we really understand that calling? And the second thing is, if that's true, then how often do we remind ourselves of that name and of that calling that we've been given and that we bear as Christians, right? That's the label, little Christ Christians, people who are pursuing Jesus, people who are looking like Jesus. In the passage today, we're gonna see that people who are in Jesus. And so the question today that we're gonna kind of talk about and the question that I wanna unpack and the question I wanna look at and maybe honestly reflect on is what is that name? What is that calling that we have? So if you have your Bibles, I'm really excited to dive into this. Actually, the last standalone message we did, we were in the same book. You saw us in Ephesians, but we were in chapter one and we talked all about adoption. And and this whole entire purpose of adoption was to show you that, man, Jesus loves you. And when he decided to choose you and we decided to pursue you, um, everything that you owed was gone. All your debts were paid and you just got everything that Jesus had to give you. And so Paul just got done with that conversation. He's jumping right into the second chapter. So if you have your... uh, Bibles. Uh, Ephesians chapter two is where we're going to be. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It's going to be floating around me somewhere here on the screen, probably right about here. Um, So if you have your Bibles, let's check this out. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five, talking about this calling, talking about this identity, talking about who we are. Here's what Paul says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though 
we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. That's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture because it paints such a great picture of what we're talking about, that identity, who you were and that identity you used to carry and then now who Jesus is saying you are. And so uh, let's flesh that out for a little bit, right? You go up into the first verse and he says, you, right? There it is, me, were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, let me, let, me, let me start here, right? He's not saying this is who you are now, but before he gets to the point, uh, making the point who you are, he reminds them, don't forget who you were because who you are now is not who you were, right? And who you were was dead in your trespasses and sins, dead, uh, unable to do anything good with no good motive in you. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were completely separated from a holy God that loves you and wants to spend an eternity with you. And that's not God's fault, right? Because we are at fault. We are the guilty party in that relationship. He's holy. He's just being who he is. And we're the ones violating that holiness. We are the sinful ones. And so Paul says and explains it as you are dead. There is nothing good in you. You have no good, lively, spiritual decisions that you can make. And so he calls us dead. But then when we jump down, he calls us alive, right? He goes on and he starts saying in verse four, or verse five rather, he says, but after all that, and after you carrying all those fleshly desires out because you were dead, but God in verse four, being rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us, made you alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He says, this is who you were, but now (laughs) look at what God's done. God said, that's not where I wanted to leave you, so I sent Jesus, Jesus died for you, told you he wanted to be in a relationship with you, you entered that relationship with Jesus, and then you went from dead to alive. And so the implication there is, man, you went from making no good spiritual decisions, terribly, terrible spiritual decisions, to now you're made alive in Jesus. Now you're wearing Jesus's name, and now you have the opportunity to make good spiritual decisions. Now you have the opportunity to do the right thing. And he goes through that, and then he ends with, you are saved by grace. And so he's basically unstopping the sentence and ending the sentence with the only reason you're able to do any of those good things now is because of what Jesus did for you. He saved you. You were saved by grace. So when Jesus went to the cross, paid everything on your behalf, um, dying that death, rising again on the third day, he's saying, man, that's the moment you had an opportunity to enter a relationship with Jesus. And for those of you, uh, because he's writing to the church at Ephesus, right, who have entered that relationship with Jesus, you are now saved by grace. And one of the things I talked about a couple weeks ago was this, right? And we're looking at this letter and we're looking at this, uh, the church at Ephesus and the things Paul's writing to him. And it honestly looks a lot similar to the context that we're diving into in 2021. Not just below the Mason-Dixon line, not just above the Mason-Dixon line, but a lot of these contexts are starting to look the same now because of where culture's trending, right? And what's so cool about Ephesus is that Ephesus was a port city. And so you had all these different cultures and all these different people groups all coming together in the same place. And Paul's writing to Christians in the middle of all that. And he's saying, hey, there's pagan gods all around you. There's pagan worshipers all around you. There's different people groups all around you. But the thing that you need to do, the thing that you need to remember is that you were saved by grace through faith. And so hold firm, fight the good fight. And in the middle of all that chaos, in the middle of all that unspirituality, love people because God loved you. So he starts that conversation early in in the book, right? He starts that conversation early in chapter two. And then at the end of chapter two, you're welcome to go read this on your own, but he starts fleshing out what that looks like. And he starts fleshing out all these different implications of being saved by grace. And then in chapter three, uh, he spends a little bit of time unpacking that even further. And then he talks about what it means to have access to these things now, right? He calls us co-heirs in Christ. And he talks about that new life that we have in Christ. And then he gets to chapter four. On the end of chapter two, Weeding through chapter three, we get to chapter four. 
And Paul's making this point, he's flushing this out, and he's explaining to them uh, why all this stuff matters and, and how it all looks or how it should look. And then he talks to him again, but he's using the first person this time. In chapter four, verses one through five, he says this. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another, uh, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Wow, that's a lot, right? Um, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack, and uh, I don't want us to get lost. And so what I want us to do in that, in that chapter 4, first couple verses, is this. I want us to look and remember why we're looking at this passage in the first place, right? The reason we're looking at this passage in the first place is because you were called to something different, and you were made to look different whenever you uh, became a Christian, whenever you were in Christ, whenever you were saved by grace. And so what does that look like practically? AJ, let me put a handle on that. How, does, how do I know, okay, for sure what I'm supposed to look like, right? You say people are walking away from the faith because I'm not looking how I'm supposed to, uh, I'm not acting how I'm supposed to act. I'm not looking how I'm supposed to look. So how am I supposed to look? Paul does a great job explaining that in these couple of verses. First, he says, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord. Pretty interesting, right? That he would call himself a prisoner. I think there's a couple things going on here, right? The first one is that he's writing this book, this letter, while he's literally on house arrest, right? And so during the day, Paul was free to walk around this house with a Roman soldier uh, while he was being watched, whatever, he wouldn't flee. And then at night, Paul would have to be chained to that Roman soldier. And so he was literally on house arrest. He was a prisoner. And so he's using similar language for them to understand, but he's not using it in a negative connotation. What he's telling the people, the Christians reading this letter is he's saying, hey, therefore me, I, the prisoner in the Lord. And what he's saying is, I'm not a prisoner to Rome. I decided to live my life in a, in a worthy manner. I decided to live my life in pursuit of Jesus. And so I'm not a prisoner to Rome right now. Instead, I'm a prisoner to the Lord because that's the one I've decided to give my allegiance to. So what does it look like? It looks like giving our allegiance to Jesus. And then he says, because of who I am, because of what I'm doing, because of who you say you are, here's how I'm urging you to live. To walk worthy of the calling you have received. To walk worthy. Man, walk worthy worthy. Act as though uh, Jesus has said, yes, I'm enough, and yes, I love you, and now you're enough. Walk worthy of that calling. Know that you don't have to try aimlessly, and you don't have to try fruitlessly to pursue Jesus and to love Jesus, but know that you are able to do that because it's Jesus working in you of the calling that you have received. And then here's how he says to do that. How do I walk worthy? What does it look like to walk worthy? How am I able to do all that because of Jesus, but what does it look like? Verse two, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Man, honestly, based on the conversations that we've been having and uh, some of those TikToks that we did show and some of the TikToks that you probably see your Instagram reels readily accessible, um, we don't really have to look much further than this verse, right? Because a lot of what they're saying is, hey, you're, you're not humble. You're not gentle. You don't have any patience. You don't love people well. And that's why I'm walking away. And Paul's, uh, <laughs> what, 2,000 years ago saying, hey, walking worthy means walking with humility. Walking worthy means walking gently, loving people. It means having patience with people. It means bearing with one another. And then he says this, he says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says it means keeping unity. It means understanding that uh, just because you disagree with that Christian doesn't mean that we have to have a feud and a falling out. 
It means we keep unity even in the middle of disagreements, even in the middle of arguments, right? It means knowing that there's a bigger purpose in mind that spurs us to loving each other even in the middle of hard things. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope at your calling. And then he reminds me, kind of rounds it out with, don't forget this is why we do this because this is what you were called to, that hope that you have in Jesus. That's the thing that made you able to do any of this. That's the thing that compelled you into loving people well. And so he kind of finishes out with that. He kind of finishes out chapter four with that. And he, he, he kind of fleshes that out a little bit more. And, and he's talking to the Ephesians and he says, okay, even more so, here's how you should live. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do at the end of chapter four. Some of the, some of the best chapters in the Bible are right here. So uh, as I'm paraphrasing and as I'm skipping through some stuff, I really encourage you to go back and look because it's really awesome stuff in there, especially if the question for you is, okay, what does it look like to live my life as a Christian? And what does it not look like to live my life as a Christian? Paul has that conversation super candidly throughout these three chapters. But then we get to this last chapter uh, that we're gonna talk about today. We get to Ephesians chapter five and we get to the first two verses of that. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, because all that's true, because Jesus died for you, because he wants more for you, because he's asking you to live differently, because all that's true, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That's heavy, right? How do I imitate God? How do I imitate a guy I can't see? How do I imitate a guy that I sometimes talk to but don't really know how to talk to? How do I imitate that guy? How do I imitate that God? How do I imitate a God in general, let alone the God of the universe, right? That's a heavy phrase when Paul says, be imitators of God. But here's the beautiful thing. Beautiful thing is that we had this guy named Jesus and he came to earth and spent 33 years with us and he showed us exactly what God looks like because he is God, right? And so Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God, be imitators of Jesus. If you, wanna, if you wanna know what it looks like to live life as a Christian, if you wanna know what your calling is and how you should be loving people, how you should be treating people, Go no further than the person of Jesus, right? The person who was patient, the person who loved on people that were unlovable, the person uh, who pushed back on religious elites who had the wrong answers because they only cared about themselves, right? Look no further than the person in the work of Jesus when, it, when the question is asked, what does it look like for me to live worthy of that name Christian and that calling Christian? Look at Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, as dearly loved children. So be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Again, he's reminding them, this isn't a work for grace. This is a work from grace, right? He's saying, you're already loved. And because you already know that you were loved, because Jesus already died for you, now you can be an imitator of Jesus and you can lay your life down for other people and you can love other people sacrificially. And so in the middle of these hard things that they're probably struggling with because there's all kinds of different cultures around uh, pushing in on them and all these walls and all this patience is running thin, Paul's reminding them, hey, it's never been about your capabilities. It's always been about what Jesus was capable of. And so walk worthy of that manner, love people, be an imitator of Jesus because you're already dearly loved, because Jesus has already modeled that for you. And then he says, and walk in love. As Christ also loved us, and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And so that second thing, walk in love. Man, that's, that's a verb. It's making love a verb. He's telling you actively every day you have a choice. Every moment you have a, a confrontation, every moment your patience runs thin, every moment you wanna do the wrong thing, you have an opportunity to walk, actively pursue love with people 
to, to look at people and say, hey, in this moment, regardless of how you're treating me, in this moment, regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm gonna choose to love you well because, again, I know that I was already loved. He finishes that walk in love with as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Man, that's heavy, right? He calls him a sacrificial offering to God, right? God, uh, Jesus had to do that for God to satisfy God because he was God. That's heavy. And we can kind of unpack that maybe a little later. If you want to keep having that conversation, uh, fill out that connect card link and I would love to have some coffee with you and talk to you about that because that's a whole sermon in and of itself. And then he calls him a fragrant offering to God. A, a satisfying smell, something beautiful, right? One of the finest things that they can understand, one of the finest things they can imagine, that, that perfume smell, it was a beautiful smell to God. It was a beautiful thing to God that Jesus would do that. And likewise, Paul's saying, it's a beautiful thing to God when you do that. And so he's saying, hey, you can do this. And he finishes up and he's saying, uh, with love, he's saying, Love is the reason why you should love, right? Because you've already been loved. And so because you've been loved, you're able to love. And this is the biggest piece. This is the thing that separates us and our beliefs as Christians from every other religion in the world. We're not working for the approval of God, but we're working from the approval of God. God's saying, I've already loved you. You've already got everything you need. Now, because of that, be encouraged, be excited, Rejoice and go love people with that attitude um, of gratification that you've got because of how I already loved you. And the main point there, the big, the big thing that I want you to see today, the big takeaway that I want us to see, that I want myself to see more often than I do because I struggle with this as much as anybody, is to walk in love because you are so dearly loved, just like that passage says. Walk in love because you are already so dearly loved. And so what does it look like to wear that name? What does it look like um, to wear that identity, to, to, to have that calling. It looks like walking in love because you are already so dearly loved. And, and at its root, that might be our issue, right? That might be our issue that we truly don't understand that love with which we've been loved because we never had this conversation. So if you're out there today and you're like, man, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm on edge a lot or maybe I'm not loving people well because I don't know that love that you're talking about that came first, AJ. Well, we have people right now online that would love to talk to you about that. Um, we would love for you, if you're on Facebook, shoot us a DM and we'll have a conversation. If you're on the online platform, uh, shoot us a, a private prayer request chat and we'll have that conversation. It doesn't have to be a prayer request. It's just a great space for you and I, um, or you and your host, to have the conversation about loving Jesus and how much Jesus has loved you. Because maybe that is a conversation you've never had before. And maybe nobody's ever told you that there's a God out there that loves you and decided to lay his life down for you so that you could spend an eternity with him and you could know a love like you've never loaned. Known, a love that adopted you, a love that chose you, a love that pursued you, and a love that wants a relationship with you forever. And so if that's you and you're out there this morning, you've never had this conversation about love, um, really wanna encourage you to do that this morning and reach out to somebody. We would love to have that conversation. If you'd rather do it uh, over a private menu, like coffee or something like that, that's totally fine too. Um, go to the website, we'll drop a link right now to that Get Connected card. Fill that card out and just tell us, hey, I'd love to have a follow-up conversation about what you're talking about today. Or maybe uh, you do know this love. And maybe you still struggled with some of this. And today, it, maybe it's resonating that, man, I haven't done one of those first two things. I haven't reminded myself often, and I haven't really leaned into this, and I haven't really grabbed onto this yet. That's okay, too, and I would love to have that conversation with you. For those of you who would consider yourselves a Christian but really struggle with loving people well, 
I would love to sit down and talk to you about some of those things that maybe keep you from doing that or maybe that are slowing you down in your process from loving people because it's such an important conversation to have and it's an important conversation that I think we all need to have, us as Christians, because the world is watching, right? Like we talked about in these last three messages of the series. The world's watching um, and what they're saying is, man, I really think that your actions and your words should add up with the things that Jesus is saying uh, they should add up with, with the, thing, with the way that Jesus is living his life. And so uh, we would love to have those conversations with you. But I, I love this passage from Paul. I love these chapters from Paul. I love this letter from Paul because I think he so uh, wonderfully fleshes out the things that we should be doing as Christians, the calling that we've been called to as Christians. Remember, you bear a name and you have an option. Change your name or change your conduct, right? Change your conduct, Christians. Change your conduct, AJ, when it's so easy to just do the wrong thing, when it's so easy to just be angry. I love you guys. I'm praying for you guys always. I love this online campus. I love spending time with you guys every Sunday morning, whether it's as a host or whether it's watching this or whether it's just getting to, getting to drop a welcome with you guys. But I'm gonna pray for us. Um, so during this time of prayer, if you wanna reach out, do that. Um, reach out to a host. Reach out on Facebook and reach out with a Get Connected card and we'll be sure to follow up. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much. Um, that you don't just expect us to love without knowing what that looks like, that you don't just expect us um, to do the right thing without first loving us unconditionally. And so we're so grateful that you've offered us that love. And I pray that this morning as we have this conversation and as we look at this letter from Paul, we understand a couple things. I pray that you would help remind us that um, this isn't a new problem. This is a problem that your people have struggled with. And the reason uh, we're having this conversation is because we're not perfect. But Father, I pray that you would also encourage us to walk in love because we understand that we were first loved. We love you and we're so grateful for you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.